Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start with the NFL. I want to start with it being fight week in NFL training camps, right? That is a tradition unlike any other. And the kind of thing that you can always count on happening. Training camp fights, especially in joint practices, It's never a matter of if, it's always a matter of when, and it's all going down. And it happens every single year, and this year is no different. Example, Titans, Bucks, they got into it not once, not twice, not three times, but are reported four different times. Also included Antonio Brown getting thrown out of practice after reportedly ripping off an opponent's helmet and punching dude in the face. Say what you want about A.B., but and he's made some really bad decisions, but the worst decision anybody could ever make is punching another dude when they're still wearing their helmet. At least he had the sense, reportedly, to rip the bonnet off dude's head and then punch him in the head. Not only that, but it included Tampa Bay linebacker Devin White appearing to, quote, take down a Titan suplex style, end quote according to the Tampa Bay Times. And they were far from the only ones who were getting down. The Ravens and Panthers have gotten into it with each other. And then, of course, so did the Rams and the Raiders. This is how it is with training camp fights. Guys are going hard. They're battling for roster spots. They're out in the hot sun. Tempers are going to flare. And when tempers do flare, fists are going to fly. Bodies are going to hit the ground. To quote a great poet, it happens. Yeah, it happens. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. And the players know this, and the coaches know this, and they shake it off and they move on to the next part of practice. Everybody knows it. Well, everybody except apparently one guy. One coach lost his bleep over fights and canceled the rest of practice. And that guy was, wait for it, John Gruden. Yeah, you heard me. John Gruden. After the Raiders and the Rams got into it, he hauled his team off the field and to the buses before practice was even over when he had gotten back to the team hotel. He explained exactly what happened. I have no idea what that was, but that's enough of that crap. You know, it's not good for football. It's not good for anything. So uh, that's the end of that. That's the end of that practice session. Dang. Check this chunk. I mean, He did it. He really did it. He went full parent screaming, I will turn this car around if you don't knock it off. And then he did just that. The same guy who insisted that the team bus take a full victory lap around Arrowhead after a win in the regular season just insisted and turned his car around and went home during the preseason? That's incredible. And when he was asked what his message was to his team, you know, canceling the rest of practice due to fighting, here is what he had to say about that. There's no message. You know, they know. They know better. Everybody knows better. And again, it wasn't everybody fighting. It'll be on TV. You'll see a bunch of guys screaming and yelling. But it was two guys in a special teams period. And then it was a lot of trash talking that escalated. Uh, It's just sickening, really. It's just stupidity. But I'm done with that. It's just child's play to me. It's just stupidity. It's just sickening. It's just child's play to me. That's like one of the weirdest things I've ever heard, honestly. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen or heard. John Gruden. 
I mean, chunk, please. Chunk, please. Chunk. Canceling practice over a fight. That guy, John Gruden, one of the reddest of the red asses, the oldest of the old school, and yet he's the most offended by a training camp fight. So offended that he's canceling practice? Get the hell off the field? No, get the hell out of here with that. It's like this guy has never seen a training camp fight before or even been to a football game before. Hey, 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 that guy just tackled my guy who was running with the ball. Because that's what we're talking about here, right? Training camp fights are a fact of life. They're like the sun rising and the sun setting. Like there are two ways you can tell that it's late summer. Back to school sales start and guys in helmets are trying to punch each other. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that training camp fights are smart. I'm not saying they're valuable. I'm just saying they happen all the time, every year, with every team. And everybody in the history of the league. Hell, everybody in the history of the world knows this, except for one guy, John Gruden. Apparently, that information has not worked its way back to him yet. Or he wouldn't be ripping his guys off the field and canceling practice, which to me makes no sense at all. I mean, don't we always hear from coaches how important these practices are, how valuable these practices are? Yet here's Gruden ripping his team off the field and losing valuable time for his team and for the Rams. I mean, how very middle school coach of him. Did he also make his guys run a lap to think about what they had done? Did he make them write on the blackboard, I will never start a training camp fight 100 times? Know this, the players, the guys who were actually throwing and receiving punches were not nearly as offended by the proceedings as Gruden. Because unlike Gruden, they do know it's inevitable. Inevitable. But don't take my word for it. Take it from the Rams legend, Aaron Donald. He was resting but he had a pretty good seed for the brawl. Honestly, every joint practice I've ever been a part of, it's always a fight, but the way how things happened yesterday, how physical it was, I, I was pretty sure it was going to be, you know, come back and be a lot of, you know, BS. So. Yeah, I mean, that part about the BS, whatever. Notice the first part of that statement. He said it, quote, every joint practice I've ever been a part of had a fight. He just said it, every single one. Yet, Gruden's out here losing his mind because that one did. Again, really weird. All right, so we know how Gruden felt about it. What about his own guys? What about his most important player, Derek Carr? Carr is an on-the-field extension of head coach Chunk. So clearly, Carr must see it the way Chunk does, right? Well, there's a reason that a lot of the fights came on special teams, right? They're fighting for a job, literally. Yep, he gets it. They're fighting for a job, literally. Not only was he not offended by it, Carr actually loved it. I love the fighting. I'm, you know, I think it's good for your team to fight a little bit. You know, everyone's tired this point of camp. So, you know, it doesn't bother me as long as no one gets hurt. You know, and when that stuff carries on to next play, next play, you're hitting cheap shots. That's when it's pointless, you know, but... I think there was a good group, a good uh, respect between both sides. Again, he started that by saying, I love it. I actually love it. So your quarterback gets it. Why don't you, coach? Not only does Carr understand why there's fighting, he loves the fighting. He thinks it's good for the team. 
Like, I thought that would be Gruden's reaction as well. But instead, his reaction was to freak out and cancel practice. Like, final thought on this. How is a guy entering his 15th season as an NFL head coach reacting like that? He's the last guy that I would have thought to react like that. There are guys dropping opponents with suplexes in other camps. And guys aren't losing their bleep. But Gruden is freaking the hell out. It's professional football. It's the NFL. It ain't intramurals. intramurals. You're the head coach of the Raiders. Act like it. This is a professional football team. And we're a little bummed out that a couple of guys got into a fight. Go coach intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals, brother. Nothing weird about what went down yesterday between the Rams and the Raiders. Nothing weird other than Chunk's reaction to it. Stop ripping your team off the field for something that you knew was going to happen and tell your guys to start tipping when they're out on the town because them stiffing the locals or going 2% on their ass is something that should never happen. Am I right? At Vital Vegas. You ever been on a boat that's sinking? Weird, man. That's enough of that crap. You know? It's just sickening. Stupidity. They know it. Y'all uh, see it on that. TV. That's the end of that practice session. That's the end of that, man. Let's get the hell out of here. I'm surprised they didn't just drive the bus around in circles and take a victory lap. You see what I did? I pulled them off the field, man. That was stupidity. Get on the bus. Let's do a couple of victory laps. That's enough of that crap. All right, so in addition to that, man, it's just weird. Weird enough that I had to start the show with it. I want to talk about the funniest thing that happened this week regarding the program, but not on the program. You know, it's a good day when Dan Campbell gets up in front of the press. He never lets us down. He never disappoints. So I've got an update on that. Big head bets. Top of our number two. I'm going to bust out. James Kelly will be here. I want to talk about that beatdown the Pats put on the Eagles last night. Normally, a game like that does not matter, but it did a little bit. I thought Cam looked great. I thought Mac Jones looked good. And I thought that Philadelphia looked like, let me see, what's the word I'm looking for? Philadelphia Eagles look like, well, in a word, ass. Here's some real talk for you. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Keeps is offering a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You do not have to leave your home. Plus, low-cost treatment starting at only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this quickly. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month for free. keeps.com slash Rome. We are joined once again by Bucky Brooks. Bucky, good to have you back. How are you? 
Hey, I'm good. How you doing, Jim? Good, good, man. Thanks so much. So week two of the preseason, Bucky started last night. You called the Cleveland-Jacksonville game in week one. I'm really curious, what did you make of what you saw from Trevor Lawrence? Uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good, man. I, I think the best way to compare him is to whatever your thoughts are on Justin Herbert, keep the same thoughts when it comes to Trevor Lawrence, but maybe add a little more for that. They are so similar in terms of their size, their athleticism, their arm talent, their football IQ. I believe Trevor Lawrence is going to hit the ground running in Jacksonville. He has all the tools that you look for, but he also has the right personality to be a franchise quarterback. I know that Coach Meyer is going through this quarterback competition with Garner Minshew and those things, but he is only doing this because Trevor Lawrence will allow that to happen. He is wired the right way, and he doesn't mind having to prove to everyone that he is the real deal at the position. Bucky Brooks joining us. So, Bucky, exactly what is that about? Like, I, I absolutely accept everything you just said about Trevor Lawrence. I think everybody does. I'm sure Herb himself does. So why go through that whole practice of having, quote, a quarterback competition? And if, in fact, one even exists, is it at all close? Uh, I think what you do is when you're a coach, you're trying to go through and create an environment where everyone has to earn everything. So all the jobs are open. We're not giving away jobs. You have to earn the opportunity to be on the field. And so with a the quarterback, they're trying to make sure that the quarterback is treated like the other position. But I would tell you, having watched him a few different times, one at a scrimmage, another in a preseason game, in my mind it's not even close between Trevor Lawrence and Garner Minshew. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is a big-time quarterback. Every time you watch the Jaguars practice or play, there are two or three throws that he makes that kind of validate his status as a guy that was the number one overall pick. I think it's really about letting them go through the process, eventually naming him the starter, and giving them the tools to succeed. But I think even in envisioning how the Jaguars are going to play at the, first, at the beginning of the year, it's going to be run-centric with Trevor Lawrence throwing off play action and complimentary plays until he is ready to completely take it over and let it be a show. Bucky Brooks is joining us once again. So, Bucky, let me get you to expand on and complete that thought. What do you make of this Jacksonville team overall? What kind of a season are you expecting from them? You know, it's interesting, Jim, because when you talk to the team first, the team echoes the same words all the time, right? They talk about being at your best, um, pushing yourself to be at your best each and every day. When you ask them about Coach Meyer, they said the one thing that we have learned from him is Look, we want to be the best at everything. So it's the best players, the best coaches, the best support staff. Everybody in the building is committed to being the best. When you talk to Coach Meyer, I will say that he has a personality that kind of brings you forward in your chair when he's talking. He has a clear vision for how he wants his team to play. He has consulted a lot of people on how to build a team. One of those guys is Jimmy Johnson. You know he's tight with Bill Belichick. He certainly understands how he wants this team to play, and this team is going to play fast. They're going to be physical, and we'll see how many wins they're able to stack up at the end of the year. We're talking to Bucky Brooks. All right, Bucky, let me jump around a little bit. I thought you made a really interesting point recently when you compared Trey Lance to a young Donovan McNabb. Lay that out for us. What do you see in Lance that reminds you of McNabb? Yeah, I mean, everything. When you go back, and I think people need to understand how Donovan McNabb came into the league. When Donovan McNabb came into the league out of Syracuse, he was kind of bored one. super athletic high IQ, could do a bunch of different things with his arm and leg. When I look at Trey Lance, it's the same thing. This guy understands it. He has the ability to kind of uh, process information, great football aptitude, and he's really understanding Kyle Shanahan's offense. Now, he's not perfect right now. 
he's not necessarily ready to play and play at a high level if they gave him the ball as the starting quarterback. But what he gives the 49ers is an added dimension. Cal Shanahan can now dig back into that playbook and use some of the things that allowed RG3 to be an offensive rookie of the year to go with an offensive scheme that just absolutely pummels opponents with the running game. I believe Trey Lance eventually makes the 49ers' offense dangerous. It makes it a nightmare to defend. And because of that, I believe Kyle Shanahan eventually hands the ball to Trey Lance and allows him to be the QB1 of this team. So, Bucky, if so, and certainly it's going to happen, when do you think that's going to happen? For instance, how long do you think it'll take before Kyle Shanahan goes all in with Lance? You know, I think a lot of it is dependent upon Lance. I don't expect it to be week one of the regular season. But I'm thinking if there's an entryway where he can get him onto the field, where they have him in packages, and he begins to show that he can do more, I think we begin to see Trey Lance maybe by midseason. Hmm. A lot of that will be how he performs on the practice field, and some of it will be on how does Jimmy Garoppolo perform if he is the opening day starter, if he is the regular season starter, and he starts a few games uh, to, to begin the year. How does he handle that? How does he perform? And how does this offense respond with him at the quarterback position? I'm talking to Bucky Brooks. Bucky, let's talk. Zach Wilson for a minute did not have the best outing in the team scrimmage in the stadium earlier this month. How did he look to you, though, in the first preseason game? And what's your sense as to his long-term future? Well, one thing he has advertised, he has a live arm. He is really athletic. He's really cool in terms of the way he is inside and outside the pocket, the way he plays the game. Uh, he just has a nice rhythm and feel to him. I, look, he, he's in a tough circumstance because the Jets have not only a new head coach, first-time play caller. Uh, you look around, I don't know how many A-level weapons they have on that offense. And so he is going to have to do more than some guys like a Mac Jones who is kind of surrounded by talent and premier coaching. This will be tough for him, but I think he's built the right way. I know he's talented enough to be a high-level player in the league at the time. It's just a matter of can they surround him with the right weapons that allow him to fully maximize his, his potential. And then, Bucky, on the other side, what a brutal blow yesterday when Carl Lawson was lost for the season with that Achilles injury. In fact, how big of a blow is that to the Jets and what Robert Sala wants to do with that defense? I mean, it's a huge blow. The biggest weakness on the Jets going into the year have been their pass rush. So in the offseason, they go and get Carl Lawson to upgrade it. And even though when you look at Carl Lawson's sack numbers, his athleticism and activity – uh, made him a very disruptive player on the edge. And then you remove that from the lineup. The only player up front that scares people would be Quentin Williams, and he's an inside player. Um, so it changes. It will force him to be a little more creative with the scheme. And how much of that, I mean, he may not be able to be fully creative because it requires the corners to be able to hold up. So Robert, Robert Solo will have to kind of figure this out on the fly. But this is a huge blow for the Jets. Covering a lot of crown, Bucky Brooks, and we'll do so for a few more moments. Bucky, one of my favorite players, I think a really interesting player, is Jamal Adams. He and Seattle agreed to a contract extension. In your opinion, did he get what he deserved for how he plays? In other words, is he more of a safety or practically a line of scrimmage player when it comes to his impact? You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I believe he's what we're seeing more in the league is he's a, he's a, he's a hybrid. He is a half linebacker, half safety. He does his damage near the box. In fact, if you go all the way back, and who I really believe he is, is he's this era's version of Troy Palomalu. When you think about how Troy Palomalu played in Pittsburgh, he was down in the line of scrimmage. His production early in his career came on sacks, tackles for loss, forced fumbles. 
very much like Jamal Adams. Um, he is also a guy who was a perfect partner or playmate to Bobby Wagner. The reason why this deal is structured the way it's structured is because they did not want to pay him $1 more than Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner tapped out at $18 million. You have Jamal Adams coming in at 17 and a half. But if you look at this, if you look at the safety market and the off-the-ball linebacker market, meaning we saw Darius Leonard and uh, my guy from San Francisco, Fred Warner, just get paid at $19 million. Uh, Justin Simmons was coming in at 15. They basically split the baby and paid him premier prices for the top linebackers and safeties. That's why he comes in at 17 and a half. Interesting. Bucky Brooks joining us. So, Bucky, you and DJ hit on something that I've talked about on the program that I think is really interesting, and that's identity, right? You know, you have teams. Good teams have an identity and bad teams don't. For all the talk about the issues, for instance, with Baltimore's passing game, how much of their identity is about that offensive line? I mean, all of it is the offensive line. The Baltimore Ravens are a team that wants to punch you in the mouth. They want to play old-school smash-mouth football. They want to run the football. And when they do it, teams are have a tough time stopping it. And a lot of emphasis has been on the Ravens' postseason failures. But I will say this. I believe they get out of character in the postseason trying to prove to the outsiders, the white noise, that they can throw and do other things. But when the Ravens play their style of football, it's been proven there aren't many teams that can beat them. Hence, the 30-7 and regular season record when Lamar Jackson has been the starter. I believe the Ravens are doubling down and saying, we are going to play our way, and at some point, we'll crack the safe being able to do it that way. We're talking to Bucky Brooks. All right, Bucky, so in terms of identity, for instance, what about the Saints? I mean, they had an identity for such a long time under Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Now that Brees is no longer there, how much does that identity change, and what do you think that will look like? Man, and like, who, who knows? Because a lot of it depends on the quarterback. I would say that without looking at the competition closely, uh, Jameis Winston would allow them to continue to play the way that they played with Drew Brees, meaning Jameis Winston is a starter, Taysom Hill can continue to do the Swiss Army knife stuff, and the offense will be effective. If you put Taysom Hill in as the starter, you lose that ability to change the game by putting another player in that can do a bunch of different things. And so... To me, it will be interesting to see how does Sean Payton handle this situation. Does he have a promise to Taysom Hill that Taysom Hill will get first crack at the position, and so he has to start him early? Or is this a situation where he's trying to put the best offense together where he is, hey, I'm going to use Jameis as a drop-back thrower, I'm going to use Taysom Hill as a Swiss Army knife, and this allows us to play the way that we played over the last decade. I think this is such good information. So one final thought, one final question. For a long time, the Browns, Bucky, their identity was not good. In fact, it was kind of horrible. Have you seen enough from them under Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski to declare that they have a firm identity now? And if so, how would you describe it? Oh, I love what the Browns are doing. Um, I believe they have a very clear vision for how they want to play, and I think it's very apparent. This is the old-school Smashmouth team that is built to win the division. Because remember, in that division, you're dealing with Pittsburgh, you're dealing with the Baltimore Ravens. You have to be able to stand up and go toe-to-toe with those teams. The Cleveland Browns can do that. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, maybe the best offensive line in football, a very talented defense. The only X factor is Baker Mayfield. Because when they get down to it and they get into the postseason, you need your quarterback to make four or five plays a game. If Baker Mayfield can make those four or five plays, we could be talking about the Cleveland Browns being a Super Bowl team. Oh, I think so, too. I absolutely love them. Are you sold on Baker as that guy that can make those four or five plays that he has to make? 
you know, I'm not necessarily sold that like Baker Mayfield is in the same class as Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, but it really doesn't matter because if they win at the level that they won at last year, he's going to get paid at that level because he's the winner. Um, I think you can be very successful in that system because, remember, that system made Jerry Goff a pro bowler. That system has helped Kirk Cousins make a ton of money. That system even made life easy for Case Keenum. So if Baker Mayfield embraces what it is, being a system quarterback and just doing what the system gives him or affords him with the opportunities, Baker Mayfield will be fine, and he'll make those plays that they need to make. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, Lending Tree is here for you. With the Lending Tree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and your saving and build a budget that works for you. Monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, get automatic alerts to protect your identity, and LendingTree can make sure you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. LendingTree also gives you personalized tips and insight into how to save money and reach your financial dreams. For more than 20 years, LendingTree has helped millions of people simplify their finances with trusted education, expert advice, and comprehensive services. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply, NMLS, number 1136. I'm not proud of this. I will own it, I will be real with it, and I am not proud of it, but I will share it with you. So I come in midweek, and I spy something in my office when I arrive. It's not the first time I've seen it. It obviously will not be the last time I see it. Because it continues to happen. I know this. So whereas this situation does not change, I am not improving with it. However, I am quick to size up the current situation. And once I size up the current situation, I immediately message Alvi. Keep in mind, the way the hierarchy sets up in terms of how we arrive in the morning. Chalk is the new guy. And he is the EP, so he is the first one in. He comes in, turns on the lights, disarms the alarm, sets the house up. Chalk is the first one in each morning, and this never changes. He is always first, then it's me, then it's Rit, then it's Alvi, and then Cindy later in the morning. But literally clockwork and without fail. Always chalk me writ Alvi. Chalk me writ Alvi. All together. Chalk me writ Alvi. So I come in. I message Alvi. And my message to Alvi is dude, bad news and good news. And this is in the form of a message. Bad news. There is yet another dead cockroach in my office. Good news. This one is not the size of a small dog like the last one. And here is the part that I will own, and I'm not proud of this. I'll just say it 
point blank. I'm not a big Roach guy. <laughs> I'm just not. Not that anybody is, but I'm just not a big fan of Roaches. Dead Roaches, live Roaches, sick Roaches, ailing Roaches, soon-to-be-dead Roaches. I mean, I'm a Freddy Roach guy. I love Freddy Roach. But I'm not a big Roach guy. I'm not a big cockroach guy, right? Generally, generally, and by generally, I mean always, I have Alvy handle the burial of the big fellas. <laughs> I'll admit it. I'm, I'm not proud of it. Like what, dude? Are you better than that? Are you better than him? Why do you have him do it? Why don't you just do it yourself? And my response to that is always, you're right. Fair. I should, but I don't. And Alvy, Alvy will push back on certain things, like not being allowed to have 15 kids and then take six weeks off. But Alvy never pushes back on that. So, Alvy gets the message from me. He arrives at work. Now, here's his technique for dealing with the dead roach. He comes into my office with a fresh, new manila envelope, or folder, I should say. A manila folder. A file folder. And Alvy's looking around. He's in my office, which he does not do unless there's a roach. He'll never come in. Once a year, if something's wrong, and he's got to hit me up on something. But he's not coming to my office. And I don't even have a closed-door policy. He just didn't come in. He's coming in, and he's looking around. Sort of like that lab technician who did my ultrasound when I had that double hernia and tried to tell me she couldn't find it. She couldn't see it. Really? Because it's the size of a bleeping golf ball. And my wife can see it from across the room. And she does not have the best eyesight ever. And you have some of the best technology ever. And you can't find it with your magic wand and your KY jelly. Anyway, that's sort of how I felt with Alvy. Alvy's looking around, and he can't find the roach. How do you not see it from across the room? Anyway, Alvy finds it. He picks up the dead roach with the manila folder. I tell him, please lob the exterminator a phone call, and I think that's the end of that. How wrong I was. Alvy had to be thinking to himself, dude, if I have to do the old man's dirty work for him and pull cockroaches out of his office, I better get something out of this as well. So Alvy walks down the hall, and I hear the whole thing. I don't see it, but I hear the whole thing. And I'm stunned and more than pleasantly surprised and happy. Alvy stops by old man Ritz's office and deadpans him with, and I quote, Dude, I have a very important folder for you that I need you to look over. And he drops the folder on Ritt's desk. Ritt, who is not as dumb as he looks, has an immediate response of, Dude, get that off my desk. Alvin says, Dude, I'm not even joking. Don't you even want to open it up and check? And somehow he's just deadpanning this whole thing. He's got a cockroach in a manila folder and said, dude, I'm not even joking. Don't you even want to open up this inner office memo and see? And Ritz like, no, 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 I don't. I mean, understandably, right? Ritz got to be thinking, unless that file folder has a mug of Swiss miss inside of it, it doesn't concern me. 
So Albie then says, all right, dude, but don't say I didn't warn you. Walks out. And if that were to end right there, that's good, man. That's funny. But that's not where that ended. Then he goes over to the new guy's office. Our new EP. That guy. Commander Chalk. Tommy D. And he says to him, and again, we live, we work in pretty close quarters, so I hear the whole thing. I can't see it, but I can hear it. Hey, Tom, I need you to check out this important file. Oh, Chalk. Oh, Chalk. Eager beaver that he is. Says, sure. Sure, of course. What's up, Alvin? What do you got? <laughs> he fires open the file and says, what the hell? Ah! Which is a question that I can answer for you, Chalk. I can answer the question, what the hell? What? What is that? What that is, Chalk, is your new life. You humped it across the country, brought your significant other with you, and you now work in a building with big ass roaches that are delivered to you in the form of an inner office memo. Sucks for you, Chalk. And no, well, I am not proud that I have Alvin handle that bleep for me. If I didn't, we would not have had the funniest moment of the week off air. Next time, and trust me, there will be a next time, I will capture this on video so you can all see it. Because even though that happened midweek, I'm still laughing about it. Because that was the funniest thing that happened this week off air. And probably the funniest thing that happened all week. Alvin shopping the dead roach around to all his co-workers in the form of an inner office memo. That's awesome. Now for the unfunniest thing. Thank you! Now for the unfunniest thing, and it happened this morning. In fact, it's ongoing, and it's happening all day long. Let me bring you something unfunny really quickly. It brings me back to one of the worst decisions and worst choices I've ever made. Believe me, if there's one thing in my life... One thing in my life that I could go back and redo, it's this. It was 73 years ago today that an absolute legend, an icon was born. Not Rit. Rit and I are on the same, we have the same birthday. 73 years ago today, a legend, an icon was born. Robert freaking Plant. The same Robert freaking Plant who once appeared on this show. And even though we had never spoken... And I'm willing to guess he had no idea who I was, honestly. I think the guy had no idea who I was. He was gracious enough to invite me to a show and promised we could hang out and he would hit me with some stories that would blow my mind. Hey, well, look, I, I know that it's probably um, not going to happen, but you're more than welcome to come along and see what we do. It's great fun. And I can tell you some great stories off microphone, which will really make you laugh. Well, maybe he did know me. If he knew, it was probably never going to happen. Given that he's Robert freaking Plant, frontman for one of the most important rock bands ever, making him one of the most important and fascinating rock stars ever, is there any doubt that he would deliver on what he said? That I've got some stories for you that you won't believe. So what do I do? What do I do? I say, hey, Robert Plant, thanks but no thanks. You know, Robert... It's a weeknight, and because I am so very serious about the job, the product, the process, you know, my man, that just would not be time well spent when I should be prepping my show. 
Worst bleeping decision ever. The one thing in my entire life that if I could take back, take back, I would. Unfortunately, you can't. Can't go back, man. Cannot go back. And it does not serve me to continue to beat the crap out of myself over it. So, happy birthday to one of the best guys ever. From one of the dumbest guys ever. Have yourself a day, Robert. You deserve it. You're Robert freaking plant. And I deserve any crap that comes my way for not taking you up on the best offer ever. I must have been like, hey, yo, man. Hey, Robbie, my guy. I'd love to come kick it with you and the band, but you do realize that Tom Glavin is going up against the Marlins and the Braves are two and a half games out of first, right? And it is August 20th. You understand that, right? Hey, hey, Robert, it's the second week of the preseason, my man. Kerry Collins is in a fevered battle for the starting quarterback's job with the Panthers or the Giants or wherever Collins was back then. I, I don't know. He, he probably would have been like, yo, yo, radio man, I don't know who the hell you are, and I don't know who the hell Tom Glavin is or Kerry Collins. I don't know any of you people. I'm just trying to be cool here, man. Still kicking myself and always will. But happy birthday, legend. Bleeping legend. My man Sammy Hagar, and I like Sammy Hagar, but if Sammy Hagar was on this show talking about sex tense sex tense and he was if my, my guy Sammy Hagar had sex tense at shows the hell do you think Robert Plant had but I said no if Sammy had sex tense biggest rock band in the world right good looking band we were good looking guys young healthy millionaires coming into a town and just imagine what happened with about 18,000 people and probably 9,000 of them were women no I know exactly what happened okay, you guys had you go, sex Jim. underneath the stage during shows yes I mean is there really the such show. a thing as a sex tent well they were changing tents is what they were called you know like Madonna you know she's got to change her clothes dude rock on Sammy Hagar that was so great he just said it we were good-looking guys, millionaires. There were like 19,000 people in the stands, and half of them were women. What do you think happened? Kevin Kiermaier is my guest. Kevin, good to have you on. How are you? Hey, Jim. I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's it, an honor to be on your show, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this, so let's do it. You know what? Let's do it, Kevin. I've been looking forward to it also. It's great to have you on this show. Thanks for doing it. So you had a little bit of rest yesterday, but the team still took care of business. In your absence, you beat Baltimore 7-2. How good did it feel to cap off that sweep, especially this time of year? Yeah, it's great. Anytime you can get a sweep, especially in four games, it's always a, a great feeling. And, you know, we're feeling really good about ourselves right now. Confidence is right where it needs to be this late in the season. And we're, uh, you know, here right now opening up a big series against the White Sox for the next three days. So 
we're right where we need to be, and um, it's going to be a fun weekend. You know, I'm going to ask you about that weekend, Kevin, in a minute, but you guys do what all good teams do. Like, you've won 11-14, but it seems like every time you guys lose a game or two, you bounce right back quickly, you get back on the path, you rip off a bunch in a row. So how would you describe the mindset in the clubhouse when it comes to ending losing streaks before they start and making sure that one win does lead to another? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um you know what? We just come to the field um, ready to go. We're motivated. We know what's at stake for us. Um, and we have a lot of young guys uh, mixed with some very good veterans as well. And it's just a really good dynamic we have, along with a ton of talent as well. That always helps. But, um, you know, we just feed off our pitching and defense and, and uh, you know, obviously try to score more runs in the opposition. But we, we've just done that at a very good clip. And, uh, yeah, you know, we limit those losing streaks and those, those tough times. And our goal is just to win each series. You know, a sweep is great, but, you know, to win two or three um, each and every series is always a good thing. And, boy, we've done that at a great clip the last two or three months. And, you know, that's why our record is what it is. Kevin Kiermaier is joining us. You mentioned this weekend and what you've got at stake. You've got the White Sox coming in. They're in first in the Central. So is it just another series, or does it have a little more juice to it because you've got a couple of division leaders facing each other in late August? Yeah, there's there's definitely uh, more juice. Um, we're really excited about this. We're first in the East. They're first in the Central. And you just want to get those bragging rights and always try to, you know, Beating the best teams in baseball is always a little bit more gratifying, and, and the White Sox are definitely one of those teams. And you just try to see, uh, you know, what your teammates are about in, in, in the big situations, and you learn a lot from guys. And we just hope to uh, have the upper hand throughout this whole weekend. So we control our own destiny, so we'll see what we're about. So, Kevin, you had a moment last Friday night I want to ask you about. You're playing in Minnesota. You hit a fly ball deep to, uh, to right field. What were you thinking as the ball left your bat and you left the box? Well, the ball, um, it wasn't carrying great in Minnesota. So I knew, I knew I hit it well. And with my luck, I was like, gosh, this, this dude in right field is just going to make a jumping catch at the wall. I know it. So I really didn't bust it out, uh, out of the box as hard as I usually do because I was just hoping that he didn't catch it. And then once I saw it carom off the wall, that's when I kicked it into uh, the next gear. And I thought I was just going to get a triple. And my third base coach, Rodney Linares, kept sending me. So I was a little shocked by that. But I, I didn't uh, – I kept my momentum. And I was safe by about a quarter to half an inch for an inside the parker. And I'll take him any by any means necessary. But um, I definitely could have made it a lot easier on myself and our third base coach if I would have ran harder out the box. But – um, it ended up working out for us. So those are always a fun, exciting play. Listen, I appreciate you owning that, but the fact is when you had to find that gear, you found that gear, you were sprinting at 29.5 feet per second when you were sprinting. 29.5 feet per second, which is absolutely flying. So when he's waving you home and you're moving like that, what were the final feet of that sprint like? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I turned 31 this year. I don't move like I used to. Uh, so four or five years ago, but I still like to think I can pick them up, put them down at a at a pretty good pace, and I just wanted to to uh, have enough wind in the sails for that final stretch. And like I said, I mean it worked out in our favor because I'm telling you, I was safe by literally a half an inch, and they replayed it, and they had no evidence to overturn it. Um, 
So I'll take it, and, you know, I, I like running with adrenaline. And inside the park, there's no better way of doing just that. But I was uh, I was definitely winded after that. But, uh, hey, a homer's a homer. I'll take him any way I can get him. Heck, yeah, they best not be overturning <laughs> something like that. Listen, if you and I were to look back, you went to the World Series this year. You were so close to winning it all. And then Blake Snell and Charlie Morton move on. You guys are below 500 at the start of May. I understand that maybe nobody panics. It's a long year. But what was the mood like around the team at that point? We, we just knew we weren't playing our best baseball. Um, and that that's easy to say. But ever since 2018... You know, dating back 2018, we won 90 games. 1996, last year, we had one of the best records in baseball. And you, you hear uh, like the World Series hangover, and I, you know, couldn't attest to that because I've never experienced that until going in to this year. And and there was times where we we seemed a little too comfortable, um, and, and you know, the production just wasn't there. But that's going to happen throughout the course of a season. We have a lot of injuries early on, and you know, we always try to remind each other positive reinforcement. Guys, we're not even close to playing our best baseball yet, so let's do the little things right because when we do, we're going to take off. And then shortly after that, we won 11 games in a row, and that really kind of propelled us and reminded us how good we can really be when we want to be that good. And um, ever since then, um, you know, we've we've played great baseball, and here we are in August with the best record in the American League, so we're right where we need to be, but we need to keep coming to the field motivated every day because we're in the best division in baseball, if you ask me, so it's not going to be easy from here on out, and um, we want to win the division and, and make some noise in the playoffs, and that's our goal. So, Kevin, I want to ask you this because, you know, you and I, we haven't spoken before, and your background, your history, your journey is so amazing to me. Like, we're talking about this as very matter-of-fact, like, we've got the best record in the American League, we went to the World Series, on and on and on, but the fact is, that you and I are talking about you playing in the World Series, and this is now your ninth <laughs> season. This is all pretty remarkable when you consider you were selected in the 31st round back in 2010. You were the 941st pick overall. <clears throat> the story goes that you had probably been told that you'd be taken somewhere between the 8th and the 15th round. I'm really curious, what was the draft experience like for you? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because, uh, you know, I, I never uh, – dreamed of playing professional baseball every every kid does at, at a young age or when you're eight or ten years old but as as my life went on i i didn't grow i mean i was one of the smallest kids in my class my whole life and thankfully had a growth spurt long story short had two really good years at my junior college and um had a scout talk to me my freshman year uh from the Rays, and that's when i started working outworking everyone I felt like and then had a really good sophomore year got drafted 31st round like you said and all I needed was an opportunity and I learned a lot about myself where you know people say if you if you want something you you can really do it if you apply yourself and I did that and then some and um, you know a couple years after I was drafted I made my major league debut and a couple years after that I got a long-term contract extension so I'm truly living the dream, but, um, you know, life's just about taking advantage of opportunities, and I've been fortunate enough to able to do that, and, uh, man, it's been 
such a fun ride, and, and I'm thankful for every step along the way. I promise you that. No, I appreciate that. And I want to ask you a follow-up question because it's safe to say you should have gone higher. I mean, obviously, right? But guys who get picked in the 31st round rarely ever make it to the bigs and almost never have the career that you've had or won the awards that you've had. And you made the point that, yeah, when I got the notice of that scout, something kind of went off, a light went on. Is it just a matter of being the hardest worker in the room? I mean, how did you get from there to here? Was it just a matter of hard work? There had to be something else, right? Yeah. You know what? I was just, I became obsessed with baseball. And I played uh, football, basketball, baseball my whole life growing up. And then once I got to junior college, I focused on baseball uh, primarily for the first time ever. And as my body kept growing and I started getting stronger, hitting the weights a little bit more, I started, you know, developing a lot more tools and kind of surprising myself at times like, wow, I, I never really thought any of this would be possible. But then especially once I got drafted, I, I just wanted to truly outwork everyone. And I was, you know, for me, like speed has always been um, a huge asset of my game and defense has always just came naturally. And it always has come down to my offensive ability. And, you know, I've been very streaky over my career. I will admit that I, be a lot better I know that and I still work towards it each and every day but it's doing the little things like living with my parents in the off season uh first couple years and swinging a bat in our family room every night and where I stand um you know like make messing up the carpet because I'm rotating my feet and doing stuff like that I've broken lights I've doing many of that uh, of those things over the year but just obsessed with trying to perfect my craft and, and becoming the best player I can possibly be because I wanted, I was not letting anyone tell me that I could not make it to the major leagues and I knew it was going to come down to offensive production and I worked my butt off to, uh, you know, go step by step in the minor leagues and, um, you know, and then it's just been history ever since. But it, it's been a crazy, crazy journey. But, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a great example of if I can do it, anyone can do it, but you have to apply yourself and, and be willing to do whatever it takes and, and outwork everyone. I absolutely love that story. Like, no shortcuts, no hacks. Well, I mean, there's hacks, yep. but no, no hacks, no shortcuts, no days <laughs> off. But at the same time, like, you were obsessed, but you've got a family. You talked about coming back to be with your parents. In spring training back in March, you and your wife welcomed your second son. I'm really curious, what was that experience like, and how is Crew doing these days? Yeah, Crew, crew is, uh, he's doing great. Boy, time is flying flying by already, but uh, life with two kids is, is, is different. Me and my wife. You know, we had a good two on two on one defense going with our first son, and now it's man to man defense. <laughs> right. So it's it's a lot tougher now balancing uh, baseball and life at home. But I have a great wife who who uh, you know loves being a part of this life just as much as I do. And uh, like I said, you just try to find that balance where I want to be the best baseball player I can possibly be and play this game for as long as possible, but. I also, uh, more importantly, want to be the best husband and dad I can be um, and just figure out ways to make life work in that. And and we've done a great job so far. We have my in-laws are huge help and we have a nanny as well to, uh, you know, allow me and my wife to still get time to ourselves and little things like that. But it's been a great transition. You learn a lot about yourself um, during times like these. So it's been great. We're having a ton of fun and and hopefully, uh, you know, we can keep winning and 
and uh, keep having a ton of fun. So, Kevin, one last thought. You want to be the best player you can be. You want to be the best teammate you can be. You want to be the best man you can be. You want to be the best husband, the best dad. I know you want to be the best bow fisherman you can be. You're big <laughs> into that, man. For those who do not know, what is that all about? And what's a trip out on the water with you like? Oh, man. Now you're, talk- now you're really talking my language. This is, this is my passion. This is what I love. Um, bow fishing is... You know, pretty much you have a, a bow and arrow with a fishing reel on there, and, and my bow is, you know, for bow fishing along with the reel. Try to be legit with it. And uh, we're just shooting carp, gar, and dogfish up in the lakes in the Midwest. That's where I do it. And, uh, you know, those fish are legal to shoot because they're terrible for lakes, actually. They're invasive species, and they mess up the population of the game fish like the bass pike muskie crappie all those other fish that you want in lakes so these fish it's legal to get them because they do nothing but bad things for lakes and they overpopulate like crazy so me and my little brother are just trying to depopulate uh the carp population one lake at a time (laughs) across uh indiana and michigan and wisconsin but that's what i do right when the off season hits so hopefully we can make a nice little run. Hopefully we're able to get to the playoffs and then have some success there. And maybe I'll be able to do um, a little bit of it come November before it gets too cold. But uh, that's what I love to do. And I'll be doing that forever. All right. So I was going to ask you, Kevin, how close do you get to where I am? We've got a place. We built a place in northern Wisconsin in Eagle River. How close do you get to where we are? I've never seen bow fishing around there. But how close do you get? So I – the. I've only done it uh, in Wisconsin, about 25 minutes west of Milwaukee, and then over in the Madison chain of lakes Okay, over there. I haven't ventured too far north up there because we drive from Indiana, so those areas are about six hours for us, and I'm not really trying to drive like eight or nine, to be honest. But at the same time, this is what the short, and my off-seasons are always so short, and you can only do it so much so october is like the time to do it october in the spring and april and may are the absolute best so i'll be able to venture out a lot more when i'm done playing and uh wisconsin they have the biggest oh man wisconsin is just the mecca if you ask me so i will i'm gonna i'll venture up there though before it's all said and done i promise you that i want to hit so many lakes uh by the time I'm 70, 80 years old, and I'm going to try to get my own little internet bow fishing show. So we'll see if I'm able to do it. But um, Wisconsin's great. You got to get out. Maybe we can go. Maybe we can shoot a little show, and, and I can take you out there. It's an well, absolute thrill. You'd love it. Dude, I love that. I love that you said that. We actually were on a channel lakes in northern Wisconsin. We're on Catfish Lake. So there, you, you probably know more about it than I do, but I'm open-minded to it, and I want to learn about it. And by the way, it's a good thing that your off-season is short, right? That means you're playing deep into the season, That's but right. you've got lots of time for it. So, yes, I will take you up on that, and I'm always about producing new content. So we should have a bow fishing show. We can co-host, and you can Let's teach me. It. We'll do it. My man, Kevin, you and I should have done this so much sooner. I'm glad we finally got around to it. Appreciate you. Great conversation. Lived up to my expectations. Let's be sure we do it again soon. All right. Sounds good, Jim. Thanks for having me. It can happen so easily. You're out with a few friends or coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks. A few then becomes a few too many. It's time to go. And then for a moment, you think of calling a ride. 
It's time to go, and for a moment you think of calling for a ride and then think, nah, you're a good driver. You live nearby. You can make it home fine. What are the odds you'll get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Play it safe, plan ahead, and get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's get to a thing that matters most at the top of hour number two. Friday means what? It means we're busting out with another edition of Big Head Bets with Big Head James Kelly. The idea here is if you're going to get down and you're going to get your gamble on, do it intelligently. Do it tactically. Give yourself a chance to win. How? By tapping into the dude with the enormous cranium. Do you really think that if I did not think that he had something significant to offer, that I would have thrown down for this crystal clear phone line that he shows up on? What's up, Head? What's up, Jim Rohn? What in the world did uh, Rit do now? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say you sound like you're right next to me, even though you're thousands of miles away, wherever the hell you are. What did you say about Rit? I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the hell he did now. Oh, he did something all right. Actually, he some. I'm, I don't want to give it away. It's good, though. Okay. All right, so why don't we get into this? Let's get into some NFL player futures yes. with some over-under rushing numbers. Okay. But before we do that, I want to talk for a second about betting futures. You and I have touched on this. I'm going to do this one more time. Generally, I'm not a huge fan because unlike stocks and investing, I'm not about that buy and hold life when it comes to getting down and gambling. Having said that, I know that's kind of whack, right? If we're going to get down and have any chance for success, we need to be disciplined, tactical, and diversified. So generally, I do not do it that much, but I know you do, and I know I should. What do you like about futures play, generally speaking? So futures add and kind of create more intrigue on the product overall for me. I love tracking players and teams all season long because it gets better as the season goes on. And it could actually save me from myself and making a bad bet down the road. Like, for example, if I had a bad read on a Titans game late in the season, but I have an over-under on Derrick Henry and rushing yards or something like that, I could just not bet on the game and follow that, and it gives me my extra little bit of juice right there. So just more action, and it saves me from myself. All right, so I like that. That's some philosophy for you, especially for the newbies. All right, so let's get at it. Let's knock out a handful of these things. Now, normally you and I will hit on just a few. I've got a whole stack. So I'm going to give you the guy. You give me the number and whether you're going to hit the over or the under on that running back. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Get ready, Fantasy Hawks. To, uh, fantasy Hawks as well, because that'll actually help you with, the, with your draft out there. Which, well, which dude, a that lot could of not, that could not have gone worse weekend, for Jim. you, man. You've had some bad moments, but that might be your worst moment of all. Some, <laughs> some for, 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 for Winthrop. All right, so clones. <laughs> Winthrop. Get your crayons out. Take notes because we're going to go rapid fire, and that's not going to be easy with this guy. Did you hear what he just did? Anyway, head. <laughs> Let's start with Derrick Henry. What is his number? Because you mentioned him. And are you over or under on him? 1,555 yards for Derrick Henry. Now, no running back in the history of the NFL gym has ran for over 2,000 yards and then chased it by running for over 1,555 yards the following season. But I'm saying Henry does here. I'm going the over, and it's because no running back 
in the history of the game has come back from a 2,000-yard season with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown on their team. Box won't be as stacked. He has 17 games this year as well, and it doesn't hurt. He has Houston and Jacksonville on his schedule twice, Jim, over 15.55. All right, so you delivered that pretty flawlessly, but maybe you do not understand the notion of rapid fire. We have a lot of ground to cover here, man. Tighten it up. Patriots running back Damian Harris. What's the number? The number is 845 uh, rushing yards. I'll go under here. Talented back, but I don't think uh, Sony Michelle is buried as most people do in New England. Under 845 yards for Damian Harris. Interesting. All right. How about Rams running back Daryl Henderson? Daryl Henderson is 925 on the over-under. I'm going over incredible zone scheme. Matt Stafford's there, and then with Cam and Akers getting hurt, he's the only running back with uh, any experience on the roster. I'm going over 925 for Daryl Henderson, and I think he's going to be a fantasy star this year. It's big head bets. All right, so let me reset you very quickly in the middle of this. Number one, you want to make sure you're getting all this down. Number two, fantasy heads. Fantasy heads, you can use this information. Head, let's be fully transparent. Are you doing this for content, or are these all actual bets that you're making? They better be, or you're done. Both, both, Jim. Content, fantasy, and I'm making the bets myself. Okay. Cowboys need a bounce back year from Ezekiel Elliott. What's his number, and how are you playing that one? This one was an easy one for me. The yards are 1,100. I was going to smash the over. Dak's injury is a little concerning for me, but I'm still going to go the over for belly button. I think he gets there 1,100 yards for belly button going over. Belly button is an ass gloss. Come on, man. Do better. Do better. All right, so this is, you're, having, you're, you're having yourself a day here, Head. How about Aaron Jones? You know this is a big Aaron Jones house. What do you think about him, and what's the number? The number is 1,050 yards. I'm going under here, Jim. I think A.J. Dillon's emergence hurts him here, and also Jones has only played one full season, one, t- uh, one time in his career, under 1,050 yards for Aaron Jones this year. Interesting. All right, hey, don't get all butthurt. Stay in the game, man. You're all right. You're good. I'm in. Okay, good. So, whereas this is a big Aaron Jones house, I know you are a huge Dalvin Cook guy. Mm -hmm. What's his number? Which way are you going with him? Yes, um, you're right. You knew the answer here. Said last week Kirk Cousins uh, would go under on his total passing yards, so I see Dalvin going over 1,375, which is a massive number. But he could lead the league in rushing for sure, Jim, and he actually is plus 550 to win the rushing title this year. So, I'm going over... 1375 for Dalvin Cook. Wow, that is a big number. Clones, are you paying attention? When you hear Alvin hammering the fantasy alert, fantasy alert, what he is saying to you is that James Kelly is not only giving you numbers on over-under, he's giving you good fantasy advice. Keep that in mind. Let's keep moving. We're on the same topic. Head, what about Joe Mixon? 995 here for Joe Mixon. Talented, talented running back. Just hasn't had the line there to create holes lately. It's a touch better, like I said, than the ass last uh, last year, Jim, in 2020. He's ran for 1,100 yards twice in his career with Burroughs weapons. I love the over here for Joe Mixon. Over 995. I like that, too. He runs hard. Pittsburgh's Najee Harris is pretty interesting to me. What's the over-under on Harris? How are you going to handle that one? It's close to Mixon's. This is 990 yards. It's interesting because the line is unproven and not expected to be very good at all. He is so good, though. 
Um, the word is they're going to plan and focus on that running game. I have more faith in the new OC, Matt Canada, so I'm going to go over 990 over, yards. Over, he plays through over. contact, and that's a good thing for this line considering there will be plenty of people in front of him over 990 yards for Harris. See, see what we're doing with this segment. We're giving you so much more information. Over the big head over. gets stronger as the game goes on. The big head is running downhill and smashing fools. What about DeAndre oh, Swift? This thing shortly. Go ahead. Sorry. Go, stop interrupting me, man. <laughs> what about DeAndre Swift? Winthrop. 900 yards, and I'm going under here. The Lions have had only one player rush for more than 900 yards in a season since 2009, Jim. It was Reggie Bush in 2013. Also, Anthony Lynn is the new OC there. He seems to love the running back by committee approach. They signed Jamal Williams under 900 yards for DeAndre Swift this year. James Kelly doing work. All right, we should have gotten to this sooner, but if the Browns are America's team, then Nick Chubb is America's back. You know I love Nick Chubb. I know you do too. What's his number? Which way are you going with him? It's a big number. It's 1325, mm. and that's a big number, especially with Kareem Hunt on the roster. But I'm going over wow. Chubb's uh, number here. He is special. He's one of the best pure runners in the game. I love him. He averaged 88.9 rushing yards a game with Hunt last year. If he does that just for 15 games, he gets there, Jim. The Browns will focus on that running game over for Nick Chubb. Wow, did you get all that? Wait, there's one more. Christian McCaffrey, pretty well busted up last year. He played in only three games. So what kind of a number are you looking at for him, and how are you going to play McCaffrey? The number is 1,200 uh, rushing yards. I will actually go under here. I think he has a big year. He's still the best pick in fantasy without a doubt, but a lot of it's as a receiver out of the backfield. I'm not crazy about their line. They have a couple rookies who could upgrade that, but defenses will make Sam Darnold beat them. I'm going to go under 1,200 yards rushing for Christian McCaffrey. We're not even done yet. I'm going to say this segment would be the equivalent of literally every segment you and I have ever done combined. That's how much information there is. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about who, because you love this. Let's talk about who is giving whom the hands this weekend and which way you're leaning. And we've been talking about Manny Pacquiao and your Dennis Ugas pay-per-view tomorrow night all week long. Pac-Man is on the wrong side of 40. He has not fought in two years ahead, but he is an enormous favorite. What's the number you see? And importantly, are you going to hit this one? The number is Manny minus 375, and the fill-in opponent that you just said is plus 275. I'm not actually going to hit that. You could uh, get method to victory odds much better for Manny, but I'm staying off this, Jim. Like you said, he hasn't fought in two years. He did look good the last time out, but I'm just staying off of it. If anything, there's a nice plus 110 for a decision. But I'm not betting it as of now. All right, so I can respect that. Now, Dana White's got a pretty interesting fight card this weekend. Yes. I know that you will bet a couple of those fisters. Who and what do you like on that card? Yeah, I have interest, uh, some interest in the last two fights on the card. I'll take Mark Madsen, the fighter, not the former basketball player, over Ooh, veteran Clay Guida. Madsen got in the game late. He actually won a silver medal in the uh, Greco-Roman wrestling in 2016. He's now 10-0 in MMA. I'll take him, Jim, at minus 160. And the main event, both guys, the favorite, Jared Cannonier and the underdog, Kelvin Gastelum, are coming, uh, they're coming off losses to Robert Whitaker, but I'm going to take the underga uh, underdog here, Gastelum. I like him a lot. He's had some bad, bad fight luck. It could be an upset, but I, I like his wrestling base. If he, could, if he could take this fight to the mat, I'll take Gastelum 
at plus 125. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Dude, could you imagine if I made you recap all of this at the end of the segment? I won't do it, though. All right, so finally, I've been saving this for last. I've been waiting all week long for you and I to get into this and have this conversation. Major League Baseball, and I do want to get your thoughts. Baltimore is bad, man. They are really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Head, is there any argument to be made that every single time the O's step between the lines, we should bet against them? Can you make that argument? They are bad. They've won one game in August and have already allowed like 145 runs this month. That's like eight and a half runs a game. I'm not sure any team ever in the history of baseball has been so bad over 17 games. I might bet against them nightly. You just have to see how jacked up those run line odds are because they are getting higher each time out. But they're horrible. It could be an absolutely good play. I, I don't know, man. They are terrible. So you're not going to answer the question. I, I, I'm tempted to hit, to go against them. Like, for instance, help me with the numbers and the money for the newbies. What if you hit the money line? If you hit the money line, and again, it's not a great value, but if you hit the money line every single night against them, could you argue that financially that's a smart decision? Not the money line, no, because it'll be that minus 300, right. minus 400, that Pacquiao-type odds for that. But the run line, like tonight, it's minus 160. So, yeah, that's still not that bad, considering. So that's your play. You'd, you'd bet against the run line against them every single time from all the way through August, all the way September, and you could probably make some money. I mean, I, I don't know how they're going to get better now that we say this. Watch. And, and the funny thing is, is they're playing the Braves, who is the hottest team in all of Major League Baseball against the spread, and they're going against the worst team in the Orioles. So so they'll win tonight, or they'll cover. You, you could bet on it. <laughs> all right, so how you feeling now, Head? That, like I, I asked a lot of you today. You did a great job. It wasn't perfect, but you did a great job. How you feeling, man? You all right? I feel fantastic, Jim, and I'm taking the Braves minus one and a half tonight. Okay, there you go. So what are you going to do with this? Are you going to actually try and tweet all this out, or is that just too much? I'll see if I could do it. We, we could probably – there's a lot of information there. We'll see if they'll take it or not. All right, rest, recover, do what you got to do. Head, great job. I did ask a hell of a lot, and you did delivered a hell of a lot nice job head thanks jim the head i mean normally what do we do four or five games four or five games a thought or two that was meat that was a ton of content your thoughts on big head bets all right so as you can tell that the show is like the show is what the show is and this show will never be exclusively about that but if you listen daily or close to daily you know we're going to incorporate that more and more into the program in a way that's part of the program. But the world is changing. With the legalization of gaming and more and more people having access to mobile gaming and more and more people doing it, I want to make sure that you're informed and we inform you and entertain you and find a way to participate. It's a hell of a lot of red meat right there. I'm looking forward to this, so let's do it. A truly awesome Monday to you. What's going on? Welcome to the program. Good, good show. Lots of things coming out of the weekend. When it comes to exhibition games, what's it really about? Fantasy? It's Alvy season. Yo, Chicago. Chicago. How y'all living? Right on cue. 
Justin Fields to the end zone. We'll and that's something you have not seen from a Chicago quarterback since the punky QB. There was juice. LeBron James live tweeting an exhibition game. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. KJ Hamler. The little kid that caught the long touchdown pass. My man did not just. Little kid. My dude KJ Hamler did. The little kid. The little kid who went right by him. I think Tebow expected that. The Jaguars keep Tim Tebow. After that performance on Saturday, I'll lick Ritz's head. <laughs> Tom Pelissero is joining us. What's your sense as to the actual injury and his status? Bottom line, Jim, for Dak and the Cowboys, the only thing that matters is get him to September 9th. And he had a nice play on the firecracker. Twiddle! Can't wait to get my hands on that firecracker. Signed JPP. Oh. Hey, Paul, you know why I don't work on July 4th ever? Because of you. It'd be a JPP firecracker fest. Yogi, how great is ball? <laughs> my man, it is so good. You got the reinvention project rolling. I've been inspired listening to that bad boy. Oh, Talking nice. to you, I've missed you, man. I've missed you. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll mm. center of a Tootsie Pop? Never really understood that. Right. Not a fan of Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> like, great. You got to work that hard to get there. That's your payoff. <laughs> because the surest way to not get the buy-in from your veteran players is to pull some college bull crap like that. And that's exactly what that was. And it blew up in his face. Right in my face. Chase Edmonds. My old coach, college coach, Joe Moore, had always used to say a pat on the back turns to a shove out the door real quick. Right. I always kind of just take everything with a grain of salt. Bench the so salt. I'm just trying to stay in the present right now, man. He is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He tweeted that you were trying to gain weight, to which you responded, and I quote, Give me some of yours. I'm sure you got plenty to spare in the rolls on your neck. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Uh, his lock is. is actually next to mine. This is what we do literally every day. Lawrence, what's up? This uh, is to welcome your new EP. <laughs> Not a good call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. I mean, this is going to sound kind of hyperbolic, but like this is kind yeah, stop of... stop doing that, dude. Hyperbolic? Um, I feel like I need to be in a hyperbaric chamber just listening to you talk. But of course. Multiple reports of rudeness and poor or zero tipping. We will name names and flog asses. Uh-oh! You're lucky to have us. We're not lucky to have you. That is an incredible tweet. Mac Brown, appreciate the friendship and the relationship. Thanks so much. Anytime you need me on, you got me, my friend. Uh, you are a gift to sports fans across this world, and I appreciate you very much. I take it upon myself to do the 75 song for you. Torn apart, avatar, nice. I'm not surprised, but that's a very violent list. That's an extremely aggressive list. Hate breed. Kind of sick and tired of the of the taunting that does go if on. If I could time run an NFL president and a CEO during a press conference, I would. Nobody wants to see a player taunting another player. I know. I don't like that call. With respect, sir. Marty. I'm suffering from this jungle Tourette. Waiter says, do you want two baskets of rolls this time, Marty? And of course I say, that's two for me. It's two for me. Can you help a clone out? Jarvis Landry joining us. That's in the culture that we've created. It's a long season. You know, everybody can hit the fastball, but you know, the curveballs happen. Tyler. It's good to have you, Tyler. How are you? It's good. It's uh, it's actually Tyson Rome, but uh... Ah! <laughs>
Joey Bosa is my guest. Hey, Jim, I'm, hey, Jim, I'm, I'm doing well. Hey, Jim, I'm, I'm doing well. Echo, hold on. Hold yeah, on. I'm echoing I'm so bad. It's freaking me out. Let's fix that. I have trouble enough talking, so with an echo, it's futile. And tips is T-I-P-S to ensure proper service. Here's what happens when you do not back it in on a Friday. What the heck's going on? What is that? Ask not what I can do for you, but ask what you can do for the jungle. That's enough of that crap. Yes, sir. Get ready, Fantasy Hawks. To uh, find it, Fantasy Hawks as well, because that'll actually help you with, the, with your draft out there. Winthrop? Dude, I have a very important folder for you that I need you to look over. But of course. Sure, of course. Fires open the file and says... What the hell? My guy Sammy Hagar had sex tents at shows. The hell do you think Robert Plant had? They were changing tents. Welcome back, El Nino. If you want an Emmy. So other than that, it's been great. For right now, it's, it's my time. Does the hair lady bet? Yes. Thank you for the opportunity, man. Take it easy. Bobo and Bumpus. I, I like their name. Mike McCann. I don't think I've been sycophantic. Same, my brother. Have a good one. Chalk, me, Rit, Alvy. Good night now. Good night now!